All right, the red light is on. Actually, I don't know if that betrays me as particularly <laughs> smart. Have you met my auntie pop? A lot's going to come out in that trial. Yeah, we've had all sorts of shenanigans going on this week in the Congress. Laport Data Podcast with Simon Hunter and Lily Mayers. No, that sounds weird. <laughs> Monkeypox. Is that an English thing? I've said, well, I've said oh, it. Oh, you said that. Sorry, we're recording. All right. If they did, yeah. is that legal? Well, that's the next point. ¿Listos? Sí. Vamos allá. Hello and welcome to episode three of La Portada, coming to you live on tape from Madrid. I am your host, Lily Mayers. I'm an Australian journalist and I'm here with my co-host, Simon Hunter, a British journalist who's lived in Spain for more than 20 years. A very long time. <laughs> Lots of years. And we're also joined by our tech support and armchair pundit, Connor Doyle. Hello, Connor. Hello, everyone. Wow. Such a projection. We have a lovely big show for you guys today. We'll be discussing the results of the Andalusian election. We speak to one of the fashion world's most important critics about Dior and Spain's artisans. And sticking to the fashion theme, we delve into whether a dress code will help disorderly patrons behave on the island of Mallorca. Doubtful. All that coming up. Simon, how was your week? Yeah, it's good. I'm enjoying the autumnal weather. Here we were last week talking about how we're all dying of heat, and now uh, it seems we're in autumn, so it's, uh, it's yeah, nice. it's all good. And tonight I'm going to be playing the music at a Spanish 60th birthday party, so wish me luck, as my knowledge of Spanish mm. pop is pretty rubbish. There's going to be a lot of Rosalia? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think so, because I think I was too oh, young. Too I put out a tweet to ask for recommendations, uh, and Twitter never lets you down with this stuff. First, first, to start with, all I got were suggestions from Alan Maguire of Sobremosa, Sobremosa Mesa podcast fame to play Rafael but then soon they came in thick and fast and I've got the most amazing playlist so thank oh, you great. everyone yeah thank you for helping us with that and tech issues did you want to <laughs> yes well we had a few technical mm. issues last week didn't we thank you for your feedback about the show everyone that's got in touch some people saying it was a little quiet and as Lily and Connor will attest all through the edit last week I just kept going shaking my head and going the levels mm. the levels I, I knew it was obsessed about audio I in the know. last couple of weeks have I know I knew it wasn't quite right and also I believe there are a few issues <sighs> with our with our link shortener Lily unless oh, you so did actually no unless you no. did want to take our readers no. to a gay porn no. site <laughs> okay can I explain I don't know how this happened <laughs> Um, I was using a URL shortener, a short URL, which I will never use again, and it worked fine originally. And then something happens where a number of hours kicks over and then they change your link I think and take you to not the intended site. I don't want to libel them, but maybe that's their business model. Maybe. Like they, they you know, look like a respectable, respectable link shortener, but then they suddenly take you to booking.com yeah. or, as in, was the case, an unfortunate picture of two men. Uh, enjoying themselves. Uh, I can't apologise enough. <laughs> Don't know how that happened, but it won't but it, happen again. We'll try and we'll try and do the link. Uh, we'll try and do our nice thread on Twitter a bit better this week. And uh, who knows what you'll find? At the oh end my god, our Twitter thread is cursed. <laughs> so yeah, please get in touch. Let us know what you find uh, after you've explored our Twitter thread. Uh, you will find us La Portada Pod on all social media. So that's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm Simon in Madrid on Twitter. My DMs are open. Mine's Lily Mayers. And you can also send us a voice note to our email address. Record a voice note on your phone with your message. Attach it to an email and send it through. Our email address, Lily, is... LaPortadaPod at gmail.com 
All right, let's get into the top news stories of the week. the PP has had a pretty impressive win in Andalusia last week. They took the absolute majority of the vote with 58 of 109 seats. 55 was needed for the majority. Are we calling it a landslide, Simon? Oh, it's pretty impressive. I don't know if it, don't know if it constitutes a landslide, but it's mm. certainly not what I predicted. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, go back and listen to our coverage last week. No, no, week. don't. No, don't. <laughs> no uh, Juan Manuel Moreno more than doubled the PP's 2018 election results and helped give their party the first absolute majority win at a regional election. It is a surprising vote, given the um, region of Andalusia had been a PSOE stronghold for around 40 years, as we did go through last week. Um, They only took 30 seats, making it their worst election result in the region since the transition back to democracy. Ciudadanos failed to win a single seat, Simon. Yeah, well, that one we did get right, didn't we? We did predict Mm. that that was going to happen. But yeah, it was a pretty disastrous night for the socialists. They went from 33 to 30 seats. Um, As I mentioned last week, and I'm going to point to all the things we got right because our predictions (laughs) were a little bit off last week, um, they were hurt by a low turnout, which is often what happens um, to the left in Spanish elections. Um, And also, as commentators pointed out, it shows that simply relying on a strategy of saying, vote for us so that Vox don't get in mm. uh, is not enough. Um, speaking of Vox, I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about far-right Vox last week because we thought that they were going to end up being kingmaker again um, for the formation of a government. They went from 12 to 14 seats, but no way did they meet right. the expectations of the polls. And the candidate Macarena Olona was calling to be vice premier, let's not forget, <laughs> when they were doing the um, televised debate. Um, the satirical Spanish uh, newspaper El Mundo. Uh, sorry, oh, <laughs> oh, there's, there's Freudian. That. Sorry. Oh God. <laughs> the satirical Spanish newspaper El Mundo Today, which is very different <laughs> from El Mundo, uh, their headline was Macarena Olona manages to stop Vox in Andalusia, which they always Classic. just they always do it so well. Um, she refused afterwards to to confirm whether she's going to stay in Seville with this kind of cryptic. Uh, I can't tell you for sure what. God's plans are so uh, Macarena staying in Seville <laughs> apparently um, depends on God um, and yes yeah, citizens completely disappeared off the map um, as has happened in other recent elections I mean they just you know didn't win a single seat Juan Marin their candidate he was the Deputy Premier uh, mm. until now. He's now the acting Deputy Premier. He took a very dignified bow out and he has resigned. In fact, he got very emotional talking about his children on the radio afterwards, saying that uh, they were very happy to have their dad back. Um, so it's nice to see the human side of uh, politicians um, from time to time. And as for the divided far left, uh, Adelante Andalucía won just two seats and Por Andalucía, which is the uh, uh, Podemos uh, party in Andalucía, took five. So not a good result there at all. Um, so, yeah, it looks like the winner of the night, Juan Manuel Moreno, may be onto something with this moderate approach. Um, keeping to the centre seems to have struck a chord. I mean, this isn't new because when Pablo Casado, 
father was the national leader of the popular party. He was desperately trying to combat the rise of Vox and um, ahead of two elections, he uh, moved further to the right to sort of compete with Vox mm. on the you know, the right side of the political spectrum. And it got really, really bad results. Um, so this now has mm, sparked a debate as to whether the PP should be taking this moderate approach everywhere. Yeah. And of course, all eyes immediately turn to Madrid, where uh, Isabel Díaz Ayuso is taking a very different approach. And um, she is, uh, you know, very combative with the central government, the um, Socialist Party-led coalition, I mean, particularly during the pandemic. And so immediately questions were being asked about what the victory of Moreno in Andalusia means for her approach. I mean, you know, is a more moderate line going to win her more votes um, but she was having none of it she came straight out and said I won't be moving an inch in my approach mm -hmm. uh, and of course the electorate is different in Madrid compared to Andalusia mm. uh, more liberal anti-socialist and, and in Andalusia from what we can see uh, the profile is clearly uh, more moderate so now uh, fingers crossed we should have a year without elections barring any big surprises because I'm so sick of elections. We've had so many general elections over the last decade in Spain. Um, we've got one and a half years to go until the next general election and we will have municipal and regionals in May of 2023 but hopefully we'll have a, a, a bit of stability. So one of the big questions in the meantime is what is going to happen to Ciudadanos citizens? So that's the centre-right party, one of these centre-right parties that emerged kind of around the same time as Podemos and kind of really shook up the, the two-party system in Spain. But they just seem to be falling into complete oblivion. And there have been calls within the party this week uh, among senior uh, members of the party for the current leader, Inés Arrimadas, to go. Um, what this means for the national outlook? Well, The Economist, the Economist magazine, its intelligence unit this week predicted that uh, the regional parties on a national level are still more likely to support a centre-left government than a centre-right one. So that would suggest that at the next general election we could have a similar um, situation to the one we have now where we have a leftist government led by the Socialist Party um, but supported yeah exactly well yeah in coalition with one of the parties I mean it would be most likely Unidas Podemos but then uh, backed up by smaller regionalist parties um, as is the situation that we've got right now To some celebrity slash crime news, Santi Millan, who is the host of Spain's Got Talent, last weekend fell victim to the leaking of an intimate video with a woman who is not his wife, which is a crime. Sorry, sorry. The releasing of the video and sharing of the video is a crime. If not, that was a crime no in longer, Spain, yeah. <laughs> uh, there'd be a lot of problems. <laughs> um, the titillating content and ensuing gossip went viral on Twitter and other social media, leading to his wife eventually releasing a statement on Instagram saying... From her point, her, from her point of view, it's no big deal. They're in an open relationship, but there has been a, a crime that's happened in that this video has been leaked. Get over, get over yourselves was her message, really, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. 
Simon, what's been your take? It, it, there, there's more analysis on this than just the usual, oh my God, there's a video out. Yeah, I mean, this might seem like a, a sort of an odd, you know, story to pick, but I just thought it was really interesting um, for, you know, certain ramifications about the leaking of the tape and also in the context of um, similar cases that we've seen in Spain in recent years. So yeah, so this is uh, Sandy Mian. He's a 53-year-old actor from Barcelona and uh, yeah, the latest celebrity to suffer the uh, leak of a, a sex tape. I mean, he was he was a trending topic for days on Twitter as people were searching for the video. It was initially actually on the social networking site but was soon removed. Um, and what was what I found particularly surprising was how a vast number of web pages purportedly hosting the tape suddenly sprung up in English. Um, I mean, I discovered this firsthand because I was searching for the tape for purely journalistic purposes yeah. only. Yeah. I hasten to add, but I just oh, kept but finding. Like, sorry, but who is the audience for this? <laughs> well, there's obviously got a big audience. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I found all of these pages. Um, so there's obviously some kind of interest industry out there making money off uh, leaked tapes like this one. I guess after the uh, you know the the, the fappening uh, leak, that massive leak of celebrity photos involving uh, Jennifer Lawrence among mm. other celebrities. I guess this is kind of like industry now. That just thrives off creating these pages to get the get yeah. the traffic and get advertising. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, Lily, what's interesting is that sharing a video like this one is actually a criminal offence in Spain. So if you share it the first time, if you're the leaker, uh, you can be punished with between three months to a year in jail or uh, a fine. Uh, the penalties it can be even stiffer if you are in a close relationship with that person, or if the person in question in the tape is a is a minor. Um, and what's more, the new solo CSC law includes a point on this. The CSC law is primarily focused on sexual consent. The CSC mm. means obviously yes means yes. Um, but you can actually be fined in Spain if you share the video or images yourself after you've been sent them. So all those people who were sending this video this week to their WhatsApp groups uh, are potentially liable to prosecution. Uh, I mean, I even saw I even saw one woman said that she received the video in the WhatsApp group for her child's school class, which I thought was pretty extraordinary. I know, those those WhatsApp groups are pretty deadly, as anyone who's got kids know, but um, I'm pretty surprised someone would send it in there. I would be really shocked if someone sent something like that in, the, in my kids' groups. And what's also interesting is this comes just at a time when a new Spanish TV show, uh, Intimidad, which means intimacy, is exploring these kinds of cases, i.e. what happens when private images become public on social media. In the case of this particular show, it explores the uh, factory worker uh, and the politician. Now, the factory worker, I guess what they were thinking about was this one notorious previous case in Spain of a woman called Veronica. She was an employee at a truck factory, uh, truck factory uh, for the brand uh, Iveco. And um, she actually committed suicide after a sexual video of her was shared among employees. And then going even further back, there was a local councillor uh, out in Toledo called Olvido Ormigos. And a video of her, an intimate video of her, was also leaked. And that caused a huge stink at a time. I mean, she was kind of, you know, she was sort of a, a nobody, really. And, but she ended up, you know, coming out of it... Mm, 
well, she t- she made a TV career out of it. Basically, mm-hmm. she started. Uh, she kind of you know owned like, it. Uh, she got a lot of support from high-profile figures, um, such you, as. Well, you've only got to look at the career of Kim Kardashian to see yeah, how you exactly. can turn it into an empire. Exactly. Really. Yeah, and also Tom and Pammy, the the Disney show recently uh, about the uh, leaked uh, Pamela Anderson sex tape. Um, I mean, speaks to a lot of this uh, kind of. That was like the original. Yeah. You know, that was like the first leaked sex tape, that's wasn't right. it? Um, that was revenge porn too. I mean, that, well, that's what we call it in Australia when these videos come out through spited um, ex-boyfriends or, I mean, it's usually women that are the victim. And, and interestingly, I think this is the, I guess, more notable male victim we've seen of this in a while. Exactly. And that was the point that his wife made. I mean, everyone was sort of saying to her, oh, are you okay? Are you okay? And she, her reaction was like, well, I'm fine. You should ask him how he is because he's the one who has had his privacy violated. And like I said in, in the intro, her message was sort of a bit like, well, you know, get over yourselves. You don't need to feel sad for me or you know, support anyone. I'm not a victim. He's not mine and I'm not his. Um, for those who don't know, there are lots of types of family and it's very tiresome to see that consensual and private sex is still causing scandals. And then she concluded her messages on Instagram by saying, what an awful Catholic and patriarchal society. So, I mean, she had a very sort of grown up response. And certainly while there were lots of people, you know, out to make a big stink out of this on social media and and there were certainly a lot of people to, that were kind of saying, well, you know, the poor guy, you know, what he does is his business and you don't know anything about his marriage or his personal situation. So, yeah, I thought, I thought it was a pretty interesting story. Um, yeah, so check out the Twitter thread because the way we're going with our link shorteners will probably accidentally link to the sex, <laughs> sex tape itself. No, right, Lenny? No. <laughs> Well, to a topic far more glamorous, the Christian Dior cruise show took over Plaza de España in Sevilla last week, helmed by head designer Maria Grazia Curie. So, a bit of background for people that aren't across the fashion Yeah, week. me. Hello. Right. <laughs> You're going to have to explain this to me. What, this is what your, was it? Uh, I know nothing your, about the fashion okay, world. You're going to have to explain this to me. Simon, this is your crutch course on Fashion Week. Thank you. Okay? Much needed. Fashion Weeks are split into seasons. So, autumn, winter show in February, then spring and summer generally show in September. Cruise shows are also known as resort, and it's like a mid-season uh, show, fashion show, which the biggest brands tend to do. They can include lighter clothes, swimwear sometimes. They're, they're resort, kind of cruise. It's all in the title, right? Uh-huh. Um, they're not usually held in the same place every year, and increasingly designers are choosing far-flung vacation locations to do their shows, Mm -hmm. which is what Maria Grazia has done for Dior in Spain this week. Uh, And I don't think that there's been a major fashion show of this magnitude in Spain for quite a while pre-COVID. So the fact that she chose Sevilla for this show is very notable for Spaniards interested in fashion. So to discuss the show, its inspiration and its impact, I spoke to Sarah Moa, who is a famous fashion journalist and the chief critic for US Vogue. She's been rubbing shoulders with famous designers, celebrities, and even the Queen of England, but this week (laughs) she's chatting to us. We spoke over the phone, so the audio quality isn't as clear as we'd like, but here is that conversation. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on La Portada. I'm sure you're busy. You're in Paris where menswear shows are happening, so I really appreciate your time. 
No, oh, thank you. I'm, I'm, thank you for inviting me on. I'm still, I'm still processing what um, what happened in Brazil um, last week. So oh. I'm happy to download thoughts. Oh, great, great. Let's analyze before we get into the details of the show. Can you tell me, as a renowned Vogue fashion critic, did you enjoy it? Did it surprise you or move you in a way you weren't expecting? Well, um, I mean, I, I was absolutely thrilled when I was invited to Seville um, with Dior because it's a it's a city I absolutely love. Um, I've I've been there twice in uh, well just before the pandemic with with um, friends, and I had to take more friends back there. And also, I know a young designer Ernesto Naranco in um, in Seville as well. And so I was absolutely um, yeah overjoyed to go to. to to go there and expected yeah expected a lot well there was 40 flamenco dancers including belen lopez and el Yillo, 110 models and masses of people in the crowd it was a quite a big production for a cruise show wasn't it yeah so that's the way of the way of the traveling world of the um the fashion caravan these days mm. um all the uh all, all the major houses Seem to now have got back on that um, on that trip. Gucci was in um, in Puglia mm. a few weeks ago, and there were shows in um, LA. I mean, I'm losing count now. Um, <laughs> yes, so it's a summer of <laughs> big brand statements. It's it's a new way of um, of of big brands occupying space. Um, but I think the thing that's different about Dior, Maria Maria Grazia Curie has 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 done this a lot. Um, she's been to off the top of my head. She's been to uh, Morocco. She's been to Greece and other places. And and what she what she does is she always the part that I'm really interested in finding out about is is always works with local businesses with artisans to um, to take part in the show rather than just, just going. <laughs> they're, they're just kind of just kind of, well just just perhaps taking from a surface part of the local culture um, and departing. I respect and admire her for that. Oh, absolutely. And this this is one area I really wanted to get into. Um, for, for our listeners who may not have seen it, I'll be sharing the collection slideshow on, on our Twitter, but there were typical pieces like Toreo jackets and pants. There were Abanico fans, manila shawls, wide-brimmed hats or sombrero cordobes. But as you say in your analysis, Sarah, it didn't seem cliche or cheap, did it? Well, yes, it would have been all too easy um, to make something which just looked like, um, you know, something from uh, postcards, I suppose. Um, but I think that I think that Maria Grazia really had taken it, taken the culture to heart. Um, she she spoke to me about being a Mediterranean woman and how she um, she related to the Spanish feeling. Catholic feeling, I, um, I guess she, yeah, she said um, about the position of women, about the Madonna, about you know about the culture, and I thought it was very respectful. It was, it looked like Dior. There were Dior shapes there, but um, it hadn't gone into a full um, like a costume and appropriation. Because yeah. I think this is, this is, this is yeah, this, this is very tricky for um, any kind of quoting from from culture today. You know, designers all over the world have to be very very careful of who's um, whose cultures they're, they're, they're referencing um, to, to walk that line between respect and yes. cultural appropriation. And I think she's very successfully managed to make it, balance it between um, Dior and and the references whilst engaging the um, craftspeople around, um, around, around Andalusia to 
make some of these incredible pieces, which actually only they can make. Yes. Well, are you able to to tell us any of the local designers that were used by Maria Grazia? Well, it's not so much, it's not designers. It's actually um, uh, small craft... Artisans. Yeah, artisans, yes. Um, so so when you see the uh, um, Manila, Manila, Manila shawl, and I learned a lot actually through talking to her about the um the history of the manila shawl which um you know everyone knows i guess as a as a spanish shawl with with it with embroidered roses on mm-hmm. it she spoke about how um the shawls originated in china and sort of traveled through manila to the philippines and was imported to spain i, I mean i had no idea about that and i'm not sure how many centuries ago that was However, she um, she found um, embroiderers in um, an amazing um, artisanal um, workshop in Madrid. Uh, women who do this incredibly fine embroidery with the roses and so on. So the first look coming out was actually a very Maria Grazia look. She she likes androgyny, mm. so there's a very androgynous girl coming out. And then around her sh- uh, her, um, her shoulders was was a sort of adaptation of a Manila shawl which was part cape I suppose with all the fringing um and on the back of it was embroidered Christian Dior and and there were other pieces weren't there hats and the fans the saddlebag well the most extraordinary thing was the um the, the filigree metal gold work yeah I'm diverging from the actual no, show now it's so interesting no, don't worry <laughs> what excites me is as a, as, a, as a fashion journalist because this 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 trip. Um, I mean, a lot of people were flown in. I, I I came in and I spent the day when I arrived with my young friend Ernesto. Mm-hmm. He said, "Look, the um, Corpus Christi processions are taking place tomorrow morning." So I said, "Oh God, come to my come to my um, hotel, take me." I mean, it's just astonishing to see every single uh, element, like even even the candles that 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 people carry, the mm. vestments, the um, um, anyway, so uh, part of it was was that Maria Grazia had um, pre-researched was uh, the fact that when you see statues, they replicate the fabrics are re- re- reproduced in um, in metal. So you see lace in metal, and, and Maria had seen this, and she found out that there was there is a metalworking factory in um, between Seville and Cordoba, I think, uh, which actually serves the churches. You understand. I mean, when I witnessed this incredible festival, you realise how many people are actually involved in maintaining this tradition. Yeah, and their livelihood is, yeah. Specialists, specialists, such incredible, unique skills. And Maria said to me that she had never seen in all her life, and, you know, her life's been uh, long, and she's worked in um, Valentino in Italy, many years and then went to Paris and <laughs> all the all the people that she knows she knows everything about making clothes she had never seen um the level of craftsmanship or this particular application mm-hmm. of craftsmanship well I well I think that's so interesting as well it does feel like she embedded herself in the south more and she had given a stage to Spanish artisans and seeing what Maria Grazia had commissioned really heightened their I think their portfolios and their abilities as well I mean it it commanded a greater sort of attention to detail yes I, I mean it, it's obviously a, a synergy between the two because they're they're not creating they're not serving the fashion industry I mean what, what what's extraordinary about her is she she she's she loves speaking with 
cross. And it's not like, you know, a designer who sketches something and sends it off. Um, and I think she quite genuinely hopes that that that, that collaboration um, will draw attention to, to those businesses and, and maybe they'll be, they will be able to see how, you know, the fashion world might be able to, to, to work with them. I think it was actually one of her... Her, her best shows recently really it showed strength it didn't show that you know sort of frivolity or anything like that it got quite serious actually mm. for me I, I always try I always look at these shows as a kind of 3D cultural phenomenon and, and you know sometimes as a journalist it's very difficult to write about these things if you haven't if you're just dropping in <laughs> on this occasion I was very grateful to to have my sideman <laughs> Oh, and I think also Sevilla in particular is best uh, explored with, with a local or with someone who can take you to the right places. I mean, yeah. it's such a wonderful, there's so many hidden nooks and crannies in there. And and just lastly, I'll let you go in a moment, I'm sorry. Uh, as you've visited Spain a couple of times pre-pandemic and, and now this trip in Sevilla, I was wondering what your thoughts were on Spain's street style. Well, I mean, what I, what I noticed about um I can't generalise about the whole of Spain. I've been in Madrid recently mm. and I went actually I went there for a fashion conference which was about the the, the future of, of Spanish design which was a whole other conversation but I was really grateful to go there um, as well as this visit to, to Seville. And what I noticed is, I mean, just how well-dressed people are. Mm. I think there's such a, a level of chic and grooming and put-togetherness that doesn't exist in, um, certainly doesn't exist in, in London. We've got a whole other thing going, but um doesn't exist in America. It doesn't exist in Paris. I think that Spanish men and women are, you know, they're on point. Yeah. Yeah. Very groomed and precise tradition. Am I right? Yes. Uh, well, I th- I think you're totally spot on and I feel it's been underlooked as a country. Yeah. I always think, why isn't, why isn't everyone talking about this all the time? I think particularly in menswear. Yes. I mean, what I look at um, are the, I don't know, men, men over... 40 and 50 who, who wears incredible tailoring with a mm. hat with a you know a pocket handkerchief amazing jackets um quite sleekly tailored not not like um not like english tailoring yes. which covers up the pores. <laughs> <laughs> um i've really noticed that what i do do really see could happen is that there's all of these young designers who've repatriated themselves in spain during the pandemic um, a lot, lot of young people went home to, you know, do what they could with their families, and then rediscovered that, wow, you know, our families can can help, and there are people in the area who can sew, and you know, so on. I hope that the, you know, the government will understand that this culture, this is an opportunity where you you, you can match young people with um, with the existing traditional ateliers. And something really amazing could happen. So I, I, you know, that's my prediction. I think that's going to happen in the next in the next couple of years. So I think there's there's, there's a renaissance bubbling under. Oh, well, that's a beautiful prediction to to leave on. I think. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was really lovely chatting to you about fashion and Spain's contribution to it. It is. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, it is lovely to have. Thank you so much. What did you think, Simon? Did you no, learn? Yeah, I, le- I learned a lot. You did? <laughs> yes, exactly. No, I thought, and I really loved the bit when she was talking about this, the how stylish um, Spaniards are. Because uh, certainly when you walk around Seville, you, you get that, you get that yeah. impression. Well, yeah. even in Madrid, I mean, it, yeah. I think, I think in in Spain, it's so 
incredible. It doesn't matter how much money you have, and it's not about labels. It's about uh, grooming. Yeah, like, and an attitude. Yeah. And, and look out for what madrileños look like at the end of the summer when everyone comes back from their holiday, all tanned, and the weather's still nice. They're all sort of still wearing summer clothes, and the, and the whole city just looks uh, really, really attractive. So beautiful. But the reason I asked makes me is... feel very makes me feel very inadequate. <laughs> oh no, don't say that. But the reason I asked her is because when when if you're reading a lot about the fashion world is Paris and Italy, you know, London street style, American street style that gets the most attention. And I think Spain should be high, high up on that list. So I think for such a giant within the fashion machine to say that a Spanish renaissance is coming, I think that's huge. And I hope it's encouraging for young designers and anyone in Spain that's um, interested in the industry and where it's going. Definitely. Well, before we wrap up for today, Simon, will you run through some other notable stories out of Spain this week? All right, let's go. So there were dramatic scenes in Budapest on Wednesday when artistic swimmer Anita Alvarez fainted at the World Swimming Championships and was rescued from the bottom of the pool by her coach, Spaniard Andrea Fuentes. Alvarez, who is American, had completed her solo free final when she lost consciousness, prompting Fuentes to dive in after her, fully clothed, and haul her to the surface. The swimmer was not breathing when she emerged from the water but was later reported to be doing well. It was a big scare Fuentes said according to Spanish newspaper Marca. I was scared because I saw she was not breathing but now she's doing very well. She only had water in her lungs once she started breathing again everything was okay. We'll be including a link to the photo gallery of the incident which was captured on an underwater camera and is incredibly dramatic. Mm. What an absolute hero Andrea Fuentes is. Could Formula One be returning to Madrid? The regional government has written to the CEO of F1 Stefano Domenicali to suggest that Madrid host a future Grand Prix. This is despite the disastrous project to do the same in Valencia, with the street course constructed there in 2008, abandoned after several years, and mired in corruption scandals involving the local authorities. The letter did not make clear where the race would be held, with former F1 venue Jarama, located to the north of the city, off the cards, given it is not currently up to the standard required by the sports governing body, the FIA. Spanish daily El País has been in the news this week, firstly for a controversial tweet posted by former editor-in-chief Antonio Caño, in which he made clear that during his time in the role between 2014 and 2018, the newspaper attempted to stop the formation of the current government, a coalition between current Prime Minister Pedro Sánchez's Socialist Party and, in Caño's words, populists and separatists, because we believe that this was bad for the left and for Spain. Some Twitter users, including current El País journalists, were appalled by his words, but with many saying that this is not journalism, while others defended him by pointing to the role of a newspaper's opinion and editorial section in influencing public opinion. And finally, a number of restaurants on the Balearic island of Mallorca have introduced a dress code for patrons, i.e. Brits, as they try to crack down on antisocial behaviour among drunk tourists i.e. Brits. According to The Guardian, these restaurants, most of which are in the Playa de Palma, will no longer allow anyone in if they are not wearing any kind of shirt, wearing a football shirt, or are in fancy dress. Juan Miguel Ferrer of Palma Beach, a seal of quality created by local businesses to which the restaurants belong, told the UK Daily that the measure had been taken due to the arrival of large groups of tourists who are only looking to get drunk in the streets or on the seafront or even on the beach. They arrive at the 
the hotels around 10am and by 2pm they can't even walk, said Ferrer. Also in the UK press this week was news that anyone caught urinating in the sea in Vigo, Galicia, faces being fined a hefty 750 euros. It was not immediately clear how they would tell if you were urinating in the sea. <laughs> also, I think I read somewhere they're like, this doesn't mean we're going to put more toilets in the beaches. God, like, lack of public bathrooms isn't an excuse to pee in the ocean. If there was ever something you needed fixing in Spain, it's the lack of public toilets. Yeah, sure. But I actually really, just a quick side note, I really like the idea of the, the, the this band of restaurant owners in Mallorca telling people, go home, have a shower, get changed, <laughs> then come to the bar. Put your shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. If you haven't already, please subscribe and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes of La Portada will be out every Friday. And if you want to bring something to our attention or leave us a note, our email is always open to you, laportadapod at gmail.com. This episode was recorded on June the 24th in the city of Madrid. Your hosts were Lily Mayers and me, Simon Hunter, and providing technical support and armchair punditry was Connor Doyle. Please subscribe wherever you are listening and tell your friends. Get the word out that there is a new podcast in town. Hasta la semana que viene. Hasta luego. Hasta luego.